sermon. I don't want you to put that against my time. <laughs> Number one, I want to thank, I want to thank the, um, our security team. I want to thank our nursery workers, the children's workers, and our worship team, including those that are in the booth, that arrive early. They, have, they get to be Martha while you get to be Mary. And we pray God rewards them for their faithfulness in serving God today. They were on my heart early this morning thinking of them. Secondly, I want you to know that in this great host of people, there's simply no way I can satisfy your needs for hot or cold. <laughs> I've already been pulled in the tempest like Paul in the Mediterranean Sea. And I always... Please forgive me in advance, Sister Sherry, who looks very beautiful today and every day. But I try to explain that there are times that I walk through my house needing a parka <laughs> and a toboggan and gloves, and Sister Sherry's in front of the window, open the air conditioner on, fanning herself. So there's no way I can get it right today. So I've turned the fan on, but not the AC. That at least will put some air uh, circulating through here. Did you know what makes today a special day? You know what it is? It's not that Jesus is risen. I know that was a shock to you. Because he's been risen every day for over 2,000 years. It's not that the presence of God is in this room. Because every time that we gather, the presence of God meets us here. But what makes this special today is that you're here. And there are some of you, this is a father's heart to you today. There's a some of you that has made this day special because you belong here every time we come. And we're better today because you're here. And I just pray that you will feel that this is not the true homecoming. Obviously, what the one we were singing about was not. That's the true homecoming. This is not. But this is a little dress-up rehearsal. And I just want to encourage you. You make us better. You make us stronger. You make us more vibrant. You make us healthier. You sharpen us by being here. And I just want to promise you, something real quickly. If you come back next Sunday, we'll do this all over again. Amen. Amen. I stand in awe of the people that come to hear. I, I, know that, I know that you come for multiple reasons on every week and also on Sunday, but you still, there's still a little bit of a compelling part of you that wants to hear what Pastor Brown has to say, and that humbles me. And I, I really set my heart, this week has been a fantastic week. It began with Pastor Andre Van Zell from South Africa via now Atlanta for three powerful services. It continued to our Wednesday night with our, our special meetings that we've been having. And then if you, if you weren't here Friday night and to be a part of a very, very special Good Friday service and Dr. Brassfield ministered the Word of God to us and then we culminated by the breaking of the most delicious communion bread that I've ever eaten in my life. But apart from that, it was fantastic 
just a fantastic night and the fellowship. I, I don't know that I've had a week, a truly a holy week in, in a long time like I've had this week. And I appreciate all those that, that, that serve to allow us to do so. I have one last announcement real quickly. I think I should do so. I'm not doing this in any way to make a suggestion. I'm letting you know this opportunity is there. Is that because we don't always tell you this, that we do have a nursing mother's room. It's not really just a nursing mother's room. It's just if you have small children that you bring in the sanctuary with you. But if they get a little bit too agitated for you and you're like, I don't know where to go, in the foyer all the way at the end is a room. It's very comfortable. Now, I go in there and sit and when you all think I'm praying. And uh, it's so nice. It's got beautiful rocking chairs. And, uh, but the service will be on the screen there. And you can kind of close the door and kind of have the place there. And, it, and so I just want you to know that is available. That's what it was created for. There's a restroom there. And sometimes there's even a bottle of water in there. So I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to go right to the Word of God today. I have two verses of Scripture that we're going to begin with. There will be some additional verses that are going to be... Uh, being shared that we'll, we'll use the screen to aid us, you know, as we do often here at First Assembly. But, you know, what a day and a privilege that I have to be able to share the Word of God with you. Two verses that, that I found many verses or many, many thoughts came and folded together in my preparation for today. Uh, you would think that of all days, this would be the easiest of all days to preach. You would think that. But the, the reality is, is because we are so familiar with the context. That it literally puts pressure on pastors to be able to try to go into something that's so familiar and to pull out something that perhaps that can not necessarily be seen new to you, but at least fresh to you. And so I believe that the Lord really did give me some things to be able to share with you today. I was very humbled as I contemplated. And I do want to say this as I'm leading into these texts just real quickly, is that when I preach the Word of God, I don't necessarily fold in a lot of stories. I don't fold in a lot of, um, uh, let me just say, poems and, and things of that nature. I, I, I simply try to compare spiritual truths with spiritual. I simply, and the reason why, let me say this, I believe that, that the Word of God, to a degree, is like a puzzle. And, and a puzzle, uh, you, you know, it, as it is being formed, it's incomplete. But as it's coming together, you begin to see it. And, and then there's a stirring in your heart. And when it's totally complete, then, then, there, then there's an image in front of you. But you don't add anything to it. You simply just let it speak for itself. And, and, and really, today's message can speak for itself. So I want to ask you to turn with me to two places. We're going to go to, to Psalm um, did I start with Psalm 16 first or John first? John first. John chapter number 20, one verse. Stand up if you would, please. It's our tradition to do so in honoring the Word of God. We're going to read in John chapter number 20, verse number 9. Again, I am so honored. I'm humbled today. I'm not nervous at all. I've been doing this a long time. If there's any trembling inside of me, it's because I feel so privileged to have an opportunity and a responsibility to share the Word of God with you. I know what God can do through the preaching of the Word um, I, I believe that God can minister uh, uh, to your spirit and, and, and reveal something to you today that is not only life-changing, it, 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 it can affect your eternal uh, destination. Verse number 9 says, for as yet, for as yet, this is, this is speaking of some of you. It's, no, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm in the room today, I'm here, it's Easter. For as yet, they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. 
So now we're going to go back to the Psalms, Psalm chapter number 16. I'm turning in my Bible. They'll put it on the screen for you. Now, here's a word that you don't find very often. I'm going to define it for you in a moment. I'm going to do my best to pronounce it. Um, I mean, obviously, you can pronounce it and kind of break it down, miktum. But if you read it in the Hebrew language, the original language that that was produced, there's a kind of a, a, a growling associated. It's like, miktum. That's true. You, you look it up, and it's very difficult to, to pronounce so we're just going to kind of kind of just arrive in agreement that I'll probably pronounce it miktum, miktum. But again, if you read it in the original language, it's got a growl to a miktum of David. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care where you're from. <laughs> Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. But oddly enough, my attention is on miktum of David. So I have a message for you on Easter Sunday. <laughs> And that is validation of the resurrection, a resurrection validation, a miktom of David. I know you didn't come here expecting that today. So I've already got you at least where I want you with some curiosity having been created. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm humbled to be on a platform where anointed men and women of God have already used not only their gift, but their anointing as a tool, Father God, to help lift the people in their worship to you. And now, Father, I stand and join with them. Whatever gifting, whatever calling that's in my life, I pray that it will be readily discernible by the people that are gathered here today. And the word that's spoken, God, will forever be burned into the hearts and minds of the listening audience, Lord. Whether they be here present or whether they are on Facebook today, I bless each one. Open our eyes that we may see. It's in Jesus' name and all of God's children said Amen and amen. Thank you so much for your reverence for the Word of God. Again, there will be a few other verses of Scripture that I'll be having you turn with me to here in just a few moments. The old song we used to teach our children, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone. I hope I'm not standing alone upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You won't find that word in the actual record. It is simply the Scriptures. It's the more familiar word. I have attempted to define it for our church family for many, many times, many, many times or for many, many years to help you understand the context with the word, the scriptures. It was in that text that we read in John chapter number 20, verse number 9. It said that they did not believe as of yet, for they did not know the scripture that he must, catch that, that he must rise from the dead. The word scripture in the original language simply means holy writ. You've heard me say that. It means something written it's in the Strong's uh, Dictionary. And, and I connected, actually, the original word in the Greek is graphe. So you can kind of put that graphic and inscribing something. Really, the first original written word of God was the Ten Commandments. Not written by the prophet Moses, not written by any prophet, but by the finger of God on Mount Sinai. The holy written word of God. And so, miktam there is, that word that we found there in Psalm 16 and 1, uh, if you will, uh, some scholars debate its definition, and some simply say that we don't know what its definition is, but the Hebrew lexicon simply says that it is something written, and the Strong's again says that it is an engraving or a poem. The word appears six times in scriptures always preceding a psalm of David. So it is a miktum, it is a poem, it is a poetic utterance that has now been 
gone, it's been taken from audible and it has been scribed on parchment or paper of some kind. And so it is in essence, if you will, take that, don't forget it, the scriptures, the scriptures, something written, the miktum, something written, because there's a revelation in that for us as we, as we go farther. I believe this with all of my heart, the words of the Apostle Paul, all scripture, all scripture, now not all writings, not all religious institutional writings, but all what we mean scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration there is God breathed, that God breathed it. It's not the musings of men. There are very, very, very outstandingly in, uh, intellectuals that, of men and women that could come together and could write things that are profound and that are founded in philosophy and, and that have wisdom, but that does not mean it is the Word of God. So what I'm speaking of today, I'm speaking of something that is very sacred. It is holy writ. It, was, it, it began here, not in my heart, but in the heart of Almighty God. And it found its outlet through his mouth, and then it was captured either by his own finger when he pinned it on the stone, but also by the writer's holy writer. The Bible says plainly, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And their words were captured on parchment, and that became Scripture. To the first century Jewish audience, when that word is used there in John chapter number 20, when he said they did not yet know the Scripture, that in their minds, immediately they make the association with three things combined in one, if we will, volume. And that is the law of Moses, and that is also the prophets, and that is the Torah. You and I know that as the 39 books of the Old Testament. They knew that as the 24 books. They did not call it the Old Testament. They called it the Scriptures. The prophets, the law, and the writings, and the psalm. But to the 21st century New Testament reader, when we use the term the Scriptures, we believe that the writings of the apostles have now been joined to and added to those original writings to form the complete canon of Scripture. And those writings of the New Testament include divine revelation, particularly given to a man who called himself one born out of time, the Apostle Paul, but also the, uh, the writings of the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that gives us the actual narrative of the life and the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know, apart from, I believe, a singular statement by Josephus, the historian that, that, that captured the fall of Jerusalem, from that time period, we have no other writings about the person of Christ other than the writings of the Gospels and then the writings of the apostles, or excuse me, the apostles and then of the epistles. And so, but with this, you and I believe, we believe that that to be the word of God, the scriptures. Did you know Jesus himself believed in the scriptures? He said this with his own mouth. He said the scriptures cannot be broken. And actually, if you'll take that and search it out deeper, he said it can't be dissolved. Did you know there have been movements in the world by men that have attempted to, to destroy the word of God? Let me tell you, but the writers of Scripture said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall endure forever. I tell you, it behooves you to know the Scriptures. So we believe in those writings of those holy men. We believe in the written testimony of the apostles. We believe in the written testimony of the one, as I have said previously, who seemed to be born out of time, the apostle Paul. 
And so the scriptures reveal to us the narrative, the doctrine of his death, burial, and resurrection has already been mentioned from this platform, which was taken from 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul said this. Paul said, this is the gospel that I preach. You want to know what the gospel that Paul preached? It wasn't your best life now. It wasn't seven key points to a better life. But it was, he said, here's the gospel that I received and what I transmitted. He didn't produce it. He just, he just passed it. It was given to him, and he passed it to us. He said that Jesus Christ died on the cross according to the Scriptures. And when he used the word Scriptures, he was not referencing the narrative, just to be honest, of the evangelist. He was referencing the prophets, the Old Testament, the law, the law of Moses, the Torah, those things that have been previously mentioned. He said, and he was buried. He goes on. He said, and he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so that's the gospel that he preached. The Scriptures teach this principle. I want you to get this in your heart. Seeing is not always believing. Actually, you and I are commended by Christ and the apostles that if you have not, have not yet seen, but we believe, in one sense, it trumps, if you will, somebody who actually had a physical eyewitness revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right today? The apostle Peter said these words. I love these words. He said, whom having not seen you love. I don't know about you. I have never seen him. Oh, I wish I could say he walked into my room and there he was. And I, I don't know, would it be California Jesus that walked in or would it be Middle Eastern Jesus? Would he have a skin tone akin to mine? Or would he have a darker skin tone? Would his voice be the sound of many? Well, I don't know. I have not yet seen him. I've not heard his audible voice. Yet I love him today with all my heart, mind, soul, and my strength today. And so I've not seen him, but I love him, though I now see him not, yet believing, I rejoice with joy unspeakable, the old preachers used to say, and full of glory because of him today. So the record of Jesus, I want you to catch this, his immediate appearing, remember, seeing is not always believing. Do you know that? Well, only a couple of you do. That's why I'm here to help you today. The record of Jesus' immediate appearing was that, listen to this, no one, nobody actually believed his immediate resurrection. The women thought that his body was stolen. Mary then later, when she tarried for a little bit longer, she thought he was a gardener. When the women arrived, when they, when they finally had heard a word from the angel and went back to the apostles and found them hiding for fear, the Bible says their words seemed as idle tales to them, and they believed them not. The two men on the Emmaus Road supposed he was a stranger. And when the eleven were collectively gathered in Galilee, and he appeared in their midst in his resurrected form, they didn't desire to touch him at first. Actually, they sought to get out of the room because they thought he was a ghost or a spirit. And so seeing is not always believing. But Mark records something this. How many of you know that Jesus loves us enough to reprove us for our unbelief? He does. He will reprove you. He will call out unbelief. Two things he will call out quicker than anything, and that is unbelief and hypocrisy. Though, I mean, if you're struggling but you're honest and sincere, I believe he's patient. you got a mask on and a pretense. I'm telling you he will call it out in a, very quickly. But I'm telling you, unbelief 
would, would frustrate Christ to the point he would reprove his apostles or his disciples. And Mark records that Jesus did reprove his disciples for not believing the testimony of the women when they found them hiding for fear. He did when he appeared to them in Galilee, the Bible says by Mark's pen that he reproved them for their unbelief. But as I began to study this out, I found something that got me on this trail that I'm on right now. It's that Jesus' first reproof for not believing was not for failing to believe the eyewitness testimony. That was not his first reproof. So, Pastor, what was his first reproof following his resurrection? So we're going to put it on the screen here, if you would. It's in the Gospel of Luke. And it was to the two men that he met on the Emmaus Road, and this is their testimony, and we'll try to read it here today. I'm going to go ahead and turn. I'm not taking just a little bit longer to catch it there, but I'll read it better here than I will on the screen. Verses 22 through 27 says, Yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. You can see by the testimony that they're perplexed. They don't really know what's going on. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre. So now it's not the testimony of the women, it's the testimony of the men. And they found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. They're confessing this to the stranger that's joined them as two of the apostles are making their journey to, uh, to, to, the, to Emmaus. And so, and then he, that being Christ, said unto them. So here's the very first reproof. Before he, finds, before he reproves his apostles for not believing the testimony of the women, notice how, what he says to them. Oh, fools. And slow of heart. He doesn't say to believe all that the women have come back from the tomb and told you. He reproves them first because of their failure to believe the scriptures. Right there, there's his first reproof. And then he said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So I want you to know today, it still behooves you and I. Say, Pastor, I struggle to understand these things. Again, that's why I'm here today. And if you'll stay with me through the course of this message, there can be the most miraculous thing that has ever happened to you in your life that can happen in this service today. God will do something power so powerful it will be life transforming in your own heart and life. So the subject, I want to talk for a moment. So you take that and you hold this. And now Jesus has reproved his disciples for not believing, not the testimony of the women, but the things that have been written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning him, both his death, burial, but also certainly today we're going to talk about his resurrection. And so the subject of resurrection was a devoutly held doctrine by many of the Jews at the time of Christ. And, and, and as, it was, as it was at that time, and it is today, it was, it was held uh, deeply and personally, but it was also very controversial, and it was rejected by many. And so in my studies, I discovered that no one really knows when in receiving the Torah from Moses and the subsequent prophets and Psalms, no one really knows when the doctrine of resurrection first began to emerge among the Jewish people. No one, there were, there were hints of it, just little nuggets of it here and there. How many know the, the, the doctrine of the resurrection is really the core doctrine that anybody can possess? Because without this, then we are as the grass of the field. We are here today and gone tomorrow. But with the hope of the resurrection and the promise of eternal life, as Sister Deanna sang a moment ago, there, and there ain't no grave. That's going to hold this body down. And that's a deeply seated doctrine in our hearts. And it's not in ours only. It was given to the Jewish people. Daniel the prophet. But he wrote much later than the giving of the 
Torah. Daniel would openly write about it, and I didn't give them this verse because I'm going to just read it to you. In chapter 12 of his um, prophetic utterances, it says, And many of them that sleep in the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. But you know what? There's such a powerful revelation is what we have in Daniel. By the time of Christ that we read the Word of God when you study, did you know not every Jew believed in the resurrection? It was contentious. Actually, the leading scholars of the day, the Sadducees. No wonder they were sad, you see. It's because they did not believe in spirits. They didn't believe in good or bad spirits, and they did not believe in life after death. That is a sad place to be. The other leading party, the Pharisees, did believe. But one thing they had in common, neither party believed in Jesus' resurrection. As a matter of fact, they called him a deceiver even after his death. That's when they went and begged, or not begged the body before Pontius Pilate, but when they requested that Pontius Pilate would send a guard to guard the tomb, they said, we remember that this deceiver said that when he was yet alive, he said that after three days I'm going to rise up from the dead. So we need you to send and seal the tomb. So they didn't believe all the way to the very, very end. But you know what many of the common folk did? Sometimes education can become a stumbling block. Now, I'm not trying to dissuade you from education. Obviously, when you hear me preach, you say, that brother needs greater education. So I understand that. But I want you to know, if it prevents me from simple faith, I want want to move that aside. Because some of the common folk, remember Martha? Martha didn't know much about other than cooking and cleaning and serving. But when her brother died, and she met Jesus coming to the grave, and she went out with tears in her eyes... And when Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. Remember what she said? She's not a theologian. She's not a Sadducee or a Pharisee. She's not a scribe. She's not trained in the leading Jewish institutions uh, uh, of religion of that day. But she said, I know. I know at the resurrection on the last day. So she might have been simple-minded and she might have had a simple lifestyle. But she held to a deeply, very personal doctrine deep in her heart. That she believed there would come a day when God would raise men and women from the grave. Is that right today? And so with this, so believing in the general resurrection, some did and some did not. But even those who believed in the general resurrection, they did not initially believe in Jesus. Even with firsthand eyewitness accounts. I'm just on that today. I'm going to try to help you. If you're going to truly believe in Christ today, if you're going to possess the kind of eternal possess the kind of faith that secures eternal life, then your believing must gain its strength not from just an eyewitness report. It must, but it must gain its strength. It must gain its, its uh, genuineness from this right here. From the prophetic, revealed, first spoken, and then written word of Almighty God. That's what you must gain your hope from. Did you know even seeing Jesus in resurrected form was not sufficient? I know some of you are like, oh, man, if I could have just been in that room with him. I tell you, you might think that would be the case. But if you'll go back and read this, did you know the Bible says while some were worshiping him when he appeared in the room, the writer said some doubted. Some are looking at him. They can smell the fragrance of the oil that's still on his body because it was the same body that had been anointed that was raised from the dead. They can smell that fragrant anointing on his body, and they're still doubting. And Luke said this, while they did not yet believe for joy. So that joy produced a wonderment, and they were still undecided in their heart. 
Is this, a real, is this really a resurrection? You say, Pastor, then what do I need to do? What, what, what is the thing that's going to tip me over if it's not holding him and touching him and watching him eat fish? And if that doesn't necessarily produce the fruit of faith, then what is it? Faith cometh by hearing, not by seeing, but by hearing the word of God. Blessed are the feet of those that preach the gospel because there's something inside of you that without sight you can see. There's something inside of you without hearing. You can hear that the gift of faith that we possess, that when God speaks the word to our heart and life, we can receive it by faith and it will produce the fruit in our lives. So there's a very rather unique parable that I'm going to talk about for a moment tonight. And I'm going to stay with me. The puzzle's not complete yet. I know you're thinking, Pastor, where are you going with this? All I see is a few things around the perimeter of this puzzle. And there's a lot missing in the middle just yet. Well, stay with me for just a little while longer. Jesus taught a parable, and I believe it was in Luke's gospel, chapter number 16. We call it the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it tells the story about two people. One was a rich man who fared sumptuously, King James Version, every day. But Lazarus was a beggar full of sores laid at the gate. And the rich man would walk past him, and Lazarus longed to eat with just a crumb that would fall from his table. But there was a common denominator that happened to both of them. And it's going to happen to the proud, pious people living on the planet today. It's going to happen to the rich, to the poor, to the educated, to the uneducated, to the black and to the white, to the Muslim and to the Christian. It's called death. Death will come to all. And it came to the rich man and to Lazarus. And Lazarus was brought into a safe place called Abraham's bosom. And there he was comforted. There the one that had begged at the gate now... Is in the presence of the Lord in the confined place. I can't go into doctrinally what all that means, but it was a safe place. It was a place of protection as he passed into eternity. But there below was another chamber, another place. The Bible plainly says the words of Jesus, and in hell, and in hell, the rich man, in flames, in flames, he begged Abraham for he could see him from afar off to come and to send Lazarus just to dip water and put it on his tongue to cool his tongue. Abraham said, there's a great gulf betwixt us. I can't go from you to me and me to you. I cannot do that. And then the rich man in hell prayed a prayer. Do you know people pray in hell? I know it's not a popular subject today, but it's the reality of what I'm talking about today. People pray in hell. People that did not pray in America, did not pray in, the, in their religion. People did not pray skipping church, but people pray in hell. And here's what he prayed. He said, would you then please, please, would you listen? He said this. Listen, there is an irony in this in a moment of time. Catch for what I'm about to say. He said, Lord Abraham, would you please then send Lazarus back from the grave? Because I got five brothers. And if Lazarus, they know Lazarus died. They know I died, but they know Lazarus died. And if they would just, if Lazarus would just knock on the door, if they would just knock on the door, they would believe and they would not come to this place of torment. That's what reasoning sounds like. That's what reasoning seems. That's what you and I would think. But listen, listen to what Jesus said. And this pierced my soul. Jesus said in Luke 16 and 31, he said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Doesn't that speak to us today? That's why you need this. You need to know the scriptures in order to believe, let me tell you, you need a miracle of faith. Isn't that right, Dr. Brasco? It takes a miracle of the Spirit of God. 
It takes the compelling power of the Holy Spirit to come upon your heart and mind and reveal to you the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this today. I want you to see for just a moment of time. I'm not going to preach a great while today, though I could because I feel the anointing of God in this room today. And I feel your attention, and I believe that you're catching the words that I'm saying to you today. But there is something, this is perhaps the uh, part of the apex of this message, and you've got to see this. It's, it, it ties what happened earlier in Luke 24. That, that was the earlier stage of that conversation that Jesus had with the two men walking on the Emmaus Road. The conversation did not end. It was just separated by a little bit of time and space later that night. So I want you to see what happened. It's in Luke 24. Now it's not just the two. The two... When Jesus had broken the bread as a stranger, when he had prayed and broken the bread, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew him. But he immediately vanished out of their sight. They got up from the table at Emmaus and they went and they found the disciples gathered wherever they were gathered. And it says, and he said unto them, so listen, Jesus appears to them. And when he appears to them, here's what it says. And this is that same passage where he said, uh, when they were afraid or affrighted because they thought he was a spirit. You remember that passage? And Jesus said, no, no, I'm not a spirit. Touch me and see. A spirit has not flesh and bone as you see that I have. Does anybody have a piece of meat? And he ate a piece of fish in front of them to convince them that he was alive. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Then... You need a miracle in your life today? You might have come here today with your leg wounded from a, a tragic accident years ago, and you may say, Pastor, I need a miracle today. You may come in here today and say, I've got cancer in my body. I need a miracle today. You may come in here today, and, and you've got diabetes, and it's been in your family, and if you're honest, you say, Pastor, I need a miracle today. I want to tell you, this is the greatest miracle that you need right here today. Then opened he their understanding. Can y'all catch what I'm saying today? Then opened he their understanding, and that they could understand the Scriptures. Go a little bit farther, verse 46. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. If you don't have the revelation that God gives by the power of the Holy Spirit, then it will be like it was to the apostles. It was just idle tales. If you don't have the revelation that the Spirit of God can give, it's just dress-up day on Easter Sunday. It's just an Easter egg basket. It's a family ham. It's a picture in the foyer, and there's no life change. But if the God of all grace will hover over your heart, he will open the eyes of your understanding, and you will see him in all his glory. Glory to God. It's a supernatural work of the power of the Spirit of the living God. Religion cannot give it to you. The university cannot give you. They can give you a a diploma that you can hang on your wall so that everybody can walk into your office and look at it, but they cannot reach into your heart and open the eyes of your understanding and allow you to see Jesus. But I believe in the supernatural power of Almighty God, and He can open the eyes of my understanding and I can, you can take away my sight, and I can still see him. You can plug off my ears, and I can still hear him. Uh, you can even take away some of my reasoning, but deep in my heart of hearts, you cannot take away from me the knowledge of the one true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go a little bit farther, two verses. I, I think the picture is starting to come together for you. I know some of you are still saying, Pastor, but what are you going to do with that mictom? We're going to get back to mictom in just a minute. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem and extending to Heber Springs. Verse number 48, and you are witnesses of these things. So, scriptures, scriptures for just a moment. So, when he references this, again, he's not talking about the record of the evangelist. 
He's simply speaking about what we call the Old Covenant. I'm going to have them post a few of these here today because I believe that you just need to be confronted with these things because they were written hundreds of years earlier. Hundreds of years earlier from the time of Christ. Not after the time of Christ, but before. Anybody, did you know, did you, did you know that the writings that, that are in Islam and the Quran were written and gathered about 500 years after Muhammad? But, but Jesus' words... And then going back now, listen, even back, the Word of God, a thousand years in advance. How many know God, a day is with the Lord a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day? And so these writers moved, holy men of old are moved by the Holy Ghost. And so there's a few, psalm, a, a few verses here, Psalm chapter 2, verse number 7. He said, I would declare, this, did you know that when the Apostle Paul preached on his first missionary journey at Antioch of Pisidia, the Scripture says that he went to this verse to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And he quotes this verse, Psalm 2 and 7, Thou art my son, this day, Resurrection Sunday, thou art begotten of thee. Isaiah 53 is known as a messianic promise. It's a messianic passage. Many of you know it, but you know it from the context of that by his wounds we are healed. But further in the text, the ninth and the 10th verse of Isaiah chapter number 53 says, He made his grave 700 years before the coming of Christ. Isaiah writes these words, He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. You remember what it was said about the man Joseph of Arimathea that had a tomb? He was a rich. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. He died. That's what it's plain by his death. Verse number 10, though, says, he, And it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering of sin, he shall see his seed. Look at that. Catch this. You'll read it too fast. He shall prolong his days. When God raised him from the dead, he prolonged his days. And that was the Messiah and the promise there from Isaiah. Psalm 40, verse number 2. I love this one. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Hosea 6 and 2 says, After two days will he revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up. Come on, somebody. That's shouting ground right there. You see, for, for, for some of you, you think, well, that's just the writings of men of old. No, listen. If you understand that is the word of God, given by the foreknowledge of God hundreds of years in advance of the man that will fulfill every word. Remember what Jesus said, everything written in the Psalms, the law, and the prophets concerning me must be fulfilled. Now the puzzle comes together a little bit more. Now that's one thing, doctrine. One more, and then I'm going to close this message. Typology is perhaps our favorite. Dr. Brassfield's an expert on it. You should ask him to share with you sometime on typology. It's a beautiful thing. It's an example that the Bible says things that were written beforehand. There was a type and there was a shadow and there was an anti-type, a fulfillment of it. It was the Old Testament that was in a shadow. It was, it, it was clear. It was like a glass darkly. But in the New Covenant, we understand it more carefully and more clearly. Isaac, for instance, or instance, just a moment. Let me just share a couple. Can I do that today? It's kind of wet out there. There's not going to be a lot of Easter egg hunts this afternoon. Uh, Y'all need to stay in here because the children are going to be confined with you inside. And so you might as well take this moment we're giving you right now. That's the truth, and you know I'm preaching right. Isaac, listen, Isaac, real quickly, the Bible plainly says that when Abraham offered him on the mountain called Moriah, and the angel stayed his hand, it was like he was raised from the dead. Did y'all know that? The writer of the book of Hebrews says it was the same as with Christ being raised from the dead. 
for it was a shadow of it. Did you know that the writer in the book of Genesis says that it was on the third day when Isaac was like giving, are y'all out there today? Did you know they took Aaron's rod that he had used to walk with and to stand and to hold as a part of his staff, it was his leadership, it was dried, it was hewn from an almond tree. Maybe, who knows how old it was? It was dead. It had no life in it. But when they were, con- they were contending for who was the leader, who was the one that had the right to go into the presence of God, Moses said, take the rod of one of every man, of, of every one of the tribes of Israel and Aaron, and put it behind the veil in the holy place. And the next day they went in, and the rod that represented every tribe of Israel looked just like it did the day before, except for Aaron's rod. And in one night, behind the veil, behind the curtain, the life of God awakened the rod of Aaron, and it began to bud, and it began to turn green, and it began to turn flower, and then there's fruit, and they open the door, and there it is full of life. It's a type, are y'all out there today, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. I could go on and on, but for sake of time, I'll just tell you what, perhaps the best one. And Jesus is the one that revealed this one because when Jesus was revealing his death, when Jesus was talking about his own death, and they, they couldn't catch it because they didn't know the Scripture. He said, as Jonah, the backslidden prophet, on a ship, caught in a storm, men not knowing what to do, Jonah said, I'm running from God. If you'll cast me overboard, the storm will cease. And the Bible says that Jonah sank into the Mediterranean Sea until God sent a great fish which swallowed him up. And there he called it the depths of hell, is what Jonah said. How you would too. Seaweed wrapped around his head, darkness, gastrinal juices trying to eat at his flesh. But for three days there he was until the fish opened his mouth and spit him out again on the land. And Jesus himself said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the fish's belly. Oh, I feel my preacher coming on right now. I want you to know, he said, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And just like the earth had to, or the whale or the fish had to let Jonah out, the, the earth couldn't contain him. It had to spit him out, glory to God. So we call that typology. So you've got doctrine, you've got typology, but what you need to understand this is he's got to lift the veil. If he doesn't lift the veil, then you won't understand and you won't know. I believe that these alone carry the breath of God upon them. I could preach from them, and I'm on my final point here today because I'm going to return to Mictum here in just a second. I want you to listen to somebody's testimony that's a true record, and then I'm going to head towards closing. I love Dr. Brassel's words Friday night. I'm getting ready to head around the final curve. I want you to catch this today. Through the Apostle Peter's testimony, in closing this message, catch it. Now, I want you to stay with me for a few moments because we've got a puzzle here that we're putting together, and you're starting to see some of it come together, but you're saying there's, there's still something. It's like the main thing is missing out of the middle of it just yet. We're at the main thing. But it's still mixed over here in the box. And we got to get it and put it together. Because only when you see it fully developed that you get its beauty. Right? Today. And so for a moment, I want you to go through the lens of Peter for just a moment. The lens of the Apostle Peter for just a second. I want you to remember, first of all, his, his own character. 
Pastor Andre ministered about Peter. He was, uh, he, he, he was brash. He was boisterous at times. He often said things that he regretted later. Unlike none of you in this room here today. Did you know that there was a moment when Jesus set his, his apostles down and said something to them about his death and burial and resurrection in response to something that Peter had said? They had gone to Caesarea Philippi and they were outside of an area called the Gate of Pan or the Gate of Hell. You can look that up on your own and search it out. And, and Jesus asked them a question. He said, whom do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? So Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. But my Father is in heaven. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And from that moment on, Jesus began to share with them that he would go to Jerusalem and he would be beaten, smitten, and he would be lied about and he would be handed over to the Sanhedrin, hand over to Pontius Pilate, hand over to the Roman governor, and he would be crucified and on the third day rise again. And when Peter heard that, he rebuked Jesus and said, he has no understanding about the will of God. It, the veil... It's between him and the truth. The veil can be between you and the truth today. That's why you have no peace. And Peter, Jesus rebukes him. Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savest not the things that be of God, rather those that be of man. So Peter struggles. Peter has unbelief. Peter's trying to see something, but he can't see. Remember what John said was the reason for his unbelief? Go back to the text. John was one of the two, as, long, as well as Peter, that ran ahead and looked into the tomb. So Peter has gone inside, and it's had to, he had to go down. That's the way there were caves, and he had to drop down. That was a tomb. And it was there. There was a cold, hard slab where Christ would have been, and the grave clothes were there. Then there's the napkin that was around his face. It's folded up, and it's to the side. He's there. He sees it all. He sees it. He touches it. He knows the body was there. But now it's gone. And John said he did not believe. Because, not that he didn't see, but he didn't know the scripture. Peter doesn't believe the report of the women. Peter's not really for sure about the empty tomb. And I wonder when Matthew wrote that some doubted, could he be talking about Peter? So what changed Peter? What changed him to the point that he had clarity and understanding and could write to you in, your, in his epistle and tell you, seeing you see him not, but you believe and commend your faith. What was it? I'll tell you what it was. It was when Jesus breathed on him. And when he breathed on him, he opened supernaturally by his power. You say, Pastor, did God open the grave? Yes, he opened the grave. But he opened Peter's understanding. And Peter then could understand the scripture. And so Peter has his own experience, yes, but it's the truth of the revelation of the Word of God given by the Holy Spirit that produces an audacious faith in Peter that takes him and changes him from one that denied Christ three times to one that still doesn't understand because seeing is not believing. But now, just a few days later, he's bold and authoritative as he's preaching and declaring the gospel because the eyes, I said, you need a miracle. And that miracle is far more 
than just a physical touch in your body or a financial miracle or a restoration of your family. You need the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened so that you can know the Scriptures. Because then when you know the Scriptures, you know hope, you know love, you know faith, you have joy, unsearchable, unspeakable, and full of glory, and no man can take it from you. Hallelujah today. So i got to tell you something as I close. I'm going to come into my final passage of Scripture. i got to get it back to Mictom. I told you that I would take you there so that you could understand. This word Mictom, it simply meant something written, a poem of David. But when it said something written, in essence, it's saying it's Scripture. Crafe, something written, holy poem, a holy word of Mictom. What does that have any bearing here today on Resurrection Sunday? How does that have any bearing to us today? Well, I want to take you back in time 2,000 years ago. The very first Easter Sunday service. Message. Preaching. Now, I know this is not on Easter, but this is as a result of the resurrection. It's actually the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days from the time of the resurrection. The Spirit of God, most of you know this, not everybody. This is my final. I'm about to turn the page. I'm at the end of page six. There's only seven. Does that tell you how close we are? The Spirit of God's been poured out. Most of you know that. Acts chapter number two. People are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're declaring the wonderful works of God in languages they have not ever known or learned. A great crowd gathers somewhere around the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem, somewhere in that general vicinity of the temple, somewhere in there, and people are perplexed, and they're, they're saying, what meaneth this? And Peter begins by the inspiration of God to look at what's taking place, even in his own life and experience, and he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Y'all know that testimony? And then Peter unfounds, or, or unlocks some things and, and great, gives clarity to what's taking place. But that's not what I want to end with today. But there's a transition in his sermon that I want you to see, and I want you to, because you've got to understand this today. Chapter number two of the book of Acts, we're going to start at verse number 22, and this is our closing text. Remember, the apostle has given clarity now to the power of the Holy Spirit that is being poured out among them. But then he transitions and begins to bring this to a close. And did you know the end result of the next 16 or so, 14 to 16 verses of Scripture, are that 3,000 men and women's heart wrenched inside their chest, pricked by the power of the Holy Spirit, and said, what must we do to be saved? That was the end of the next 14 or so verses of Scripture that flowed off of the lips of the Apostle Peter. Let's see what Peter had to say that day. Now, you would think that he would say this. I'll share with you in a moment. You men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have by wicked hands taken and crucified, and wicked hands you've crucified and you've slain. Peter said, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. Paul's right there. In that moment of time, Peter is about to bring validation to the resurrection. Validation to the hope that he now possesses. 
And in that moment, the first gospel message of the resurrection of Jesus, he does not say these words, I was with him 40 days ago. I was with him for 40 days. He appeared to us. I was with him in Galilee. I was with him in Jerusalem. He's appeared to us on and off again for 40 days. We broke bread together. I was on the Mount of Olives there outside of Bethany when he was raised again into heaven. Peter doesn't say this. To validate the doctrine of the resurrection. But you know what he does? You know what he uses? The man whose mind was veiled and couldn't understand the word of God. The man that John said the reason he didn't believe is he didn't know the scripture. You know what he's about to quote from? A mictum of David. Psalm 16, where we read earlier. Psalm 16, a mictum of David, hidden in Acts 2, verse 25. I foresaw the Lord, verse number 8 of chapter number 16 of the Psalm 16, a mictum of David. He says, now I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Verse 27 is the, uh, I believe it's the 10th verse of Psalm 16. And now the apostle Peter, the man who didn't understand, the man who saw the grave clothes, the man who heard the testimony of the women, the man who saw the appearance of Christ and still did not yet understand, said, I want you to know that the man called Jesus is alive today, not because I saw him, but because the ancient prophet David wrote a thousand years ago that his soul was not left in hell, neither would God suffer the Holy One to see corruption. Glory to God. That's why you got to know the Scriptures. That's why they will burn in your heart when He reveals them unto you. He will write the revelation of truth here, not just here. Oh, that's a good word. Way better than y'all shouting here today. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. You say, Pastor, you get loud. I get loud every week. It's not just Easter. I get excited every week. You know why? Because he lifted the veil a long time ago. And he gave me the eyes of my understanding, and they became enlightened. And I began to know him in a very intimate and personal way. I've never touched him. I've never heard his audible voice. I can't tell you what the fragrance of the aroma that was upon his body that day when he was resurrected. But I can tell you I know him because he's opened my understanding. And I love him having not seen. What about you today? Let's go a little bit farther today in closing this message. And I mean that sincerely. Closing this message. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. He is dead and buried. Did you know that sepulcher of David is still there today, Jace? Do you know that? We visited. I don't know if his bones are still there. Jerusalem's been sacked 25 times over the centuries. I don't know if his bones are still there, but you could go today. You could get a passport and a plane ticket. And by this time tomorrow, you could be standing outside the sepulcher where they believe the bones of David are at. But the apostle Peter said, let me tell you about this real quick. He said, David was a prophet. He knew God had sworn, verse number 30, an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, and neither did his flesh see corruption. And this same Jesus uh, hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses today. Did you know I'm a witness of Jesus' resurrection today? 
Not because I was there in the upper room. Not because I was there in Galilee. Not because I outran John because I probably would not. And I arrived at the tomb and bent, went, bent over and looked down. But I'm a witness today of the resurrection of Jesus because he opened my understanding. Come on somebody today. And now I can know him in the way that he, he wants me to know him. Through the scriptures. Through the holy writ that's written not here only, not here only, but it's written in your heart. Daryl's joining me on the platform today. This is a good word. I feel privileged to share it with you. The picture's coming together. Let's see if we can kind of regather it in closing today. I open with a word that most of you have never pronounced in your life. Some of the newer translations might not even have contained it. Six times, David writes a prelude to his psalm. A mikvah. If I can say it, I, I, I can't, obviously. Blue letter Bible it on your own. Hit the button. Gargle, grr, when you say it. <laughs> but I found an irony. I found this irony. That a man that watched him die heard the first-hand reports from people that had watched him die who went to the tomb to re-embalm his previously embalmed body that said that they had seen a vision of angels that he was risen and Peter didn't believe. Peter runs to the grave, sees the grave clothes, sees the napkin, and he still doesn't believe. Jesus appears in his midst. And he might have been one that Matthew and Luke says, wondered, pondered. But on this fateful day, with a bold faith flowing out of his spirit, he said, I want every person in this audience to know he's alive today. Because David yeah, that same David that reached his hand in a brook and caught five stones out, but only needed one to take Goliath down. That same David that was taken from the sheepfold and made the shepherd of Israel. That same David that we call the sweet psalmist of Israel gave us a miktum, holy writ, a poetic psalm. And in that psalm, he speaks about death. But he's got to be talking about more than David because David's bones are with us in the very city in which Peter was preaching. But Peter said, I want you to know he's not talking about himself. He's talking about Yeshua, Jesus. And now Peter understands the scripture. Remember what John said. Let's fold the pictures coming together. John 20 and verse 9 said, while they believe not for joy, isn't that a, a unique statement? They believed not for joy. But then John said, here's the reason why they didn't believe. Because they didn't understand the scripture. That's what he said. Fifty days later, the revelation of the scripture has come. And now he's willing to die for that singular truth. 
that Jesus was buried and was raised again on the third day. He's an eyewitness testament. Yes, he is. But he has a burning word in his spirit because God, listen, listen, he's lifted the veil. And I want you to know today on Easter, there's something missing in your life. There's, there's something, if you're not communing with God through the revelation of the Holy Spirit as you read, meditate, and ponder the scriptures, then you're missing the very peace that God gives. You won't know about eternal life apart from the scriptures. You won't know about this man called Jesus apart from the scriptures. You won't know about a covenant God made with Abraham. You won't know about a boat built by Noah. You won't know about a man called David. You won't know about any of those, what we know as biblical characters, if you don't find it in the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Scriptures, a mictum of David. It's a miracle of faith, church family. It's a miracle. Dr. Russell and I kind of counseled together a little bit the other night and and he confirmed everything that I was thinking here. It's a, it's a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus is a miracle. Do you believe that? But let me tell you, I don't, I don't know if I should say equally as much, but comparatively, if we will, when he lifts the veil and opens your understanding, that's a miracle of faith. You can't do it. You, you cannot lift the veil. Can you allow me to say that today? You can't do it. The women were worried they couldn't roll the stone back. They knew that in their physical ability, they, were, they couldn't roll the stone back. But an angel did. Can I put the picture together? When Jesus reproved them for their unbelief, for not knowing the Scriptures, it doesn't say, and then they thought on it more, and then they understood. It doesn't say, well, then they signed up for leadership school. It doesn't say, and oh, they said, man, we've got to get in Bible college. We've got to learn these things. No. It says, he opened their understanding. He has to do it. He has to do it. That's why you're here today. That's what some of you I've met, some of you I've passed through life a little bit about, and, and, and I didn't even know that you, some of you were going to be here today. And you say, well, and just in life, I can, I can walk right past you, and I, I can guarantee you that if, if God, there's a difference if he hasn't lifted the veil in your life. Because he's lifted the veil in my life. And I know him today. I can say that. I know him. I'm, I, I'm, an, I'm a witness. I'm a witness for him today, for Jesus. He's alive. He's the mediator between God and man. He ever lives for you today. He's standing in the gap between you and God today. And he wants you to allow him to open your eyes and you can see him through the eye of faith. Now here, isn't this odd? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes closed. The message is complete. It's a simple invitation carries a twofold connotation today. I just spoke about opening your eyes. I'm not talking about your sight. I'm talking about both your heart and your understanding. Thank you, Jesus, today.
I believe that there's someone under the sound of my voice that came here on Easter Sunday. And you, maybe you're not used to a preacher that gets as loud as I do, as animated as I am, perhaps as passionate as I am. It might have been uncomfortable for you today. It might have been uncomfortable when Peter lifted his voice up that day. But God had done something so, so amazing in his life, he could not remain silent, and neither can I. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I would like to know him. I would like to know this Jesus that you're talking about. I'll pray with you right where you are today. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of trusting. It's a prayer of saying, Lord, I believe in Jesus today. Help me to believe. And then I want to pray for any today that says, I'm a believer, but I need God to open my understanding in a depth and in a way that I've never known him before. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I would pray with you. I would pray with you today right where I am to profess Christ as the Lord of my life, that he might breathe upon me as Holy Spirit. If that's you today, slip your hand up today. I'll pray with you today. Anyone here today? Some hands are going up in this audience today. Thank you today. Multiple hands are going up today. Thank you. Thank you today. It's between you and God. Number two here today, those of you who say, Pastor, pray with me. Pray with me today that God will open the eyes of my understanding that I might see him in the scriptures who here today will be courageous enough to slip your hand up today hands are going up throughout the room young and old alike it's a very solemn yet sacred moment today on a day of celebration and it truly is a day of celebration we're going to pray a two-fold prayer on every person here to the if you will utter it under your breath if you will and and but but speak it out verbally if you will and we're going to pray we're going to say father today I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for me, was buried, and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Come into my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I will follow you as you lead me all the days of my life. I am yours and you are mine. Now let me pray over you today. And you pray this just between you and God. Let's pray this today. Father, I want to pray for those that raised their hand that said, I want to ask God to open my understanding. Isn't that fair today, church family? And did you know for some it might be separate for salvation. For some it's happening simultaneously as of salvation. But we're praying, God, open our understanding. Could you, did you not see it? It's that the last pieces of the puzzle are being pushed in right now. It's not, it wasn't just for Peter. It wasn't just for the apostles. It wasn't just for the uneducated preacher in front of you. It's for every person who will come to him. He will open your understanding. And you will know him. As he is revealed to you in the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation. In the Psalms, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles. Jesus said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have life. 
and they are they which testify of me. God, I pray today with all the faith, if I have any faith in my heart today, if you will give me the gift of faith today, I pray for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that was courageous enough to raise their hand and say, open my understanding. God, open their understanding. Breathe on them, O Holy Spirit. Reveal yourself to them through the Word of God. Let them know you in intimate fellowship as that Word becomes the living Word in their heart and in their mind. And it will transform every part of their lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said with me, amen. Won't you stand up, please, if you don't mind. It's 1156.